This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not replace your own financial, tax, legal, or financial product advice. Hey guys, and welcome to this week's episode of Gen Z Money. This week, we are continuing our first home buyers mini series, and today we're going to be focusing on things to look for in a mortgage and what to avoid. So we've covered some of the basics of looking for a house, what is the process of buying a house, but today we're going to really focus in on the mortgage specifically. So again, this week, we've got John from My Millennial Money and My Millennial Property on the show. John is a property expert, and he is my go-to for any property questions. So I really hope you guys enjoy this week's episode, and we've got plenty more to come. Hi, John. Thanks so much for joining us again this week. No worries, Azara. Good to be here. So this week, we wanted to touch on specifically just mortgages, um, and we want to have a talk about things to look for in a mortgage and what to avoid. So let's say I'm buying my first house. There's obviously a number of things I need to consider when I'm deciding on the structure of my mortgage. But first of all, a common one that I hear a lot is how important are mortgage brokers how much do they cost and should they be used? Yeah, it's a really good topic. And, and I think when I first started investing uh, way back when, <laughs> showing my age, but it was really common that you would go straight to the bank and, and my parents before me did the same thing. They would go to a, the local branch manager, have a cup of coffee and, and they'd work out their loan. And, and over time, they it was more of a, a trust thing to know that uh, they would look after them, they would know their situation and they, they could get themselves a loan. Um, I, I think as more products came available um, over the journey and it wasn't just the big four banks, then I, I think that's when a mortgage broker became more relevant um, to the point today where I think it's actually a no-brainer to use a mortgage broker they look across maybe 20 to 25 lenders for you and, and they'll shortlist basically uh, two or three lenders that are suitable to your situation. So going back to, to the days of mum and dad, we the, the ANZ branch manager wasn't going to tell you that CBA had a better loan up the road. So I think that's where a mortgage broker <laughs> plays an important part. And in respect to how they get paid, we shouldn't be um, paying for their services. They they get paid mm-hmm. from the the lender that um, that you decide to use for for your for your loan, and 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 they get paid a, a commission as a result of that. And that commission is pretty much standard across the board. So there's no one lender that pays more than than another lender. So there's no incentive to go to one particular bank. Okay, perfect. So we're going to talk about a range of features that may or may not come with your mortgage. But first of all, a pretty common question is, does it matter who you get a mortgage through or should you just get the cheapest rate? Yeah, again, a common, uh, I suppose, question that's asked and and I do get it a lot and there's always commentary on, I can get a cheaper interest rate over here, so should I change? And everyone's comparing Mm -hmm. interest rates. And, And whilst it's you don't disrespect it. It's an important con um, component of what you what you're doing. It's it's one component of many that you would uh, you would look at. And the big one I find is is serviceability. A lender out there might be saying, "Well, we can offer two percent," but the servicing criteria or the servicing 
um, calculator they, that they use for, for you in your industry and your income might work against you. So even though that interest rate's low, it, it, um, it, you still m- might not be able to borrow the amount you want, whereas another lender up the road might allow you to borrow $100,000 more because uh, their servicing calculator is very different to, um, to another lender. So yeah, interest rate has to be put into the picture, but it's not the be all and end all. Perfect. And for someone who's maybe just listening to this podcast for the first time and isn't sure what serviceability means, could you explain a little bit about what that means? Yeah, sure. Good question. Um, serviceability is is basically your ability to repay a loan. So they look at your income, they look at your expenses, they look at have you got any bad debts in your life, have you have you got existing assets that are going to help you repay a loan. Um, so they just do a basically an autopsy of your your whole income and, uh, and and expenses in your life. And then when we're looking at how frequently we're going to be repaying that loan, is there a cost difference between paying for it weekly, fortnightly or monthly? Yeah, there is. Uh, there's no difference between weekly and fortnightly. So, it works out to be the same amount of payments each, each year. But when you go from fortnightly to monthly, you're actually going to if you choose fortnightly, you're going to repay one extra loan repayment um, over the year. So you're actually better off um, paying fortnightly. You, you don't really miss that extra one repayment and, and it will mean that you pay off your loan uh, in a quicker time frame. So yeah, I would always recommend fortnightly payments to, to my clients. Awesome. And then another thing that comes into the picture for a lot of people, a lot of first home buyers is lenders mortgage insurance. So could you do, could you just explain a little bit what that means? Sure. So lenders mortgage insurance is, is basically an insurance policy that the bank takes out on uh, on your behalf that that covers them and not you as the as the um, the loan or the lender. So it, it kicks in when you you want to borrow more than 80% of something's value. So if I want to borrow 90% of, of that uh, house that I'm buying, uh, they'll ask me to pay lenders mortgage insurance. So that bank will take out an insurance policy uh, as because the risk is a little bit higher, uh, perceived risk to them. So, But I'll pay that uh, insurance policy on their behalf, and that might be four or five thousand. It depends on the loan amount and and the lender and and their calculation. And uh, I'll pay that as a one-off amount um, at the start of my loan, and that'll be just usually uh, calculated or or added into the loan amount that I'm borrowing from that lender. I, I won't continue to pay a fee each year. It's just the one-off amount at the start. Okay. Yep. That makes sense. And just before we started recording, you mentioned as well, loan to value ratio. Could you explain to the listeners what that is? Yes. So loan to value ratio is exactly that. What's the loan uh, against the value of the property? So I'll give you a quick example. If I'm buying a property uh, at that's worth 400000 and I'm borrowing um, 80% of that uh, value of the property, right? I'm going to be borrowing um, 400 minus 20%, which is basically 320,000. So yeah, that's a loan to value ratio of 80%. And, and that's the numbers that you're, again, having a good mortgage broker in your corner uh, will will be able to determine 
what's going to be best for your situation. And also a mortgage broker that, that thinks strategically as well. Um, conservatively speaking, in an ideal world, you'd like to have 20% deposit and avoid your lender's mortgage insurance and, and it's safe and secure and, and you've got a lower loan repayment, etc. Uh, but we know that in today's world where property prices are, are going crazy right around the country, we, we might only have 10% and we might be better off getting into the market now uh, with that 10%, make, maybe taking a little bit of a hit on our lender's mortgage insurance fee, but knowing that we're in the market already and, and we get to capture any future growth as well. So yeah, it comes back to the mindset of the mortgage broker and also their strategic thinking. Perfect. Now, this question I'm sure you've heard a million times and I'm super interested to hear what you have to say, but a really common one is, should I go with a principal and interest loan or should I go with interest only? And what do those two options mean? Yeah. So, I think the first question we need to ask is, what type of property are we buying? Are we buying an investment property or are we buying a home to live in? So I've always had a rule of thumb for, for me personally and my property investing journey. If I'm buying my home to live in, I want to pay that debt down as quick as possible. So I would be paying principal and interest. So the, the, um, the interest only component is paying the interest back to the bank that they're charging us for, for the pleasure of lending the money from them. Uh, and, and in 30 years time, if we only pay interest only, we will still owe the same amount as we as we owed right at the beginning. If we're paying principal and interest, we, we pay off the principal as well as the interest component. So we're paying down that loan. And most loans are 30 years. We can choose less, 25-year loans, 20-year loans, and they can determine also what uh, we pay depending on our age. As we get older, they might say, right, we're going to give you a 15-year loan or a 20-year loan only because you're too old and you you might have carked it before you um, pay our loan back. <laughs> so, um, yeah, but generally speaking, I've always said, right, P&I or principal and interest for my owner-occupier home that I'm living in uh, and for my investments, I would look at interest only and and just free up my cash to pay down my my mortgage on my own home, um, knowing that I, I refer to that as bad debt, meaning I can't claim the running expenses. It's not an income producing asset, whereas my investment property is um, good debt because it's it's an income producing asset and and uh, the running costs of that property are claimed back uh, against my tax, provided that I'm buying uh, or, or working. Um, earning money in Australia. Yep, totally agree. And then another element that's really important to consider as well is the type of interest rate that you choose. So you can choose a fixed interest rate or a variable interest rate. Could you give us a little rundown of what that means and what way people might want to lean? Yeah, so by way of background, over the last hundred odd years, on average, interest rates have been around about six to seven percent for residential lending, and when I say residential um, property that you buy in a in a town or a suburb, in recent years, if anyone's been following the trend, interest rates have been coming down and down to the point now where they're at the lowest ever. Um, and, and definitely in my time and as well, the cash rate from the Reserve Bank is sitting at like 0.5 or something of a percent at the, at the time of recording. So we can get interest rates 
uh, for our own home at probably anywhere around 2%, 2.5%, which, which is just crazy. It's cheap money, very cheap money. Uh, from an investment loan, we're probably looking at 3% around, maybe 3.5% at, at max. So generally speaking, when, when we fix a loan in, the bank, or we're hedging our bets to say interest rates are going to rise and I'm going to stop um, stop myself from having to pay those extra interest rate increases because I've fixed the rate at the, at the time that I had. So, for example, I might fix it at 3% and then the banks increase their rates to 3.5% and I've, uh, I'm still paying my interest at 3%. Okay. But generally over time, it's very hard to beat the banks. They they know they're usually one step ahead of the consumer. So more often than not, uh, those that fix loans have been caught out, and and interest rates have actually reduced when someone's fixed them. And and an example has been definitely in the last four or five years where someone might have fixed at five percent, and then three years later when they're out of that fixed term, the interest rates down at three percent, and they've been paying five percent all that time. Um, but now is a really interesting time because, as I said, it's at, at its all-time low. So there's there's really a little bit of merit to, to actually fix some of the loan. And that's why, uh, again, a strategic mortgage broker will help you through is you might decide to fix maybe 50% of it and keep the other 50% variable or if your if your income or your your life situation is a little bit more vulnerable, you might decide to fix it all, knowing that if you're fixing at three percent or two and a half percent or two percent, uh, it it can't go much slower than that, really. Yeah, absolutely, and that's what I was going to ask. You just mentioned that you can have a bit of a hybrid of both, um, half fixed, half variable. Do all banks offer that ability? Uh, generally speaking, they should. They 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 definitely would have a product within their range that would allow you to fix some and, and keep some variable. It it just depends on the product that you take out when you when you take out your loan. But that that's something I would be talking to my broker about is to say, right, can I fix some and keep some variable with the product that we're choosing with that particular lender? So when I say product, if you go to Westpac, for example, they might have 15 different home loan options that you can take. There might be a first homeowner, there might be a, a super saver, um, I don't know, they call it, They have these glamorous names, but essentially they're all different types of products that they offer for different um, home loan options. And then with interest only again, is it at all possible to maybe pay interest only for the first couple of years and then go to principal and interest or are you locked in at whatever you choose when you first take out the mortgage? So so when I started investing and I was looking at interest only loans for my investment properties, they you, you would have like a th- maybe a three-year or five-year interest only period and the bank would just... N- naturally roll that over into another three or five year period. And now, um, since the, the GFC in, in uh, late 2000 and, or sort of eight, 2008 to probably 2011, that's when they started to question banking policies in, in Australia. And from, from then on, they've, um, they've continued to review it and decide, well, we actually want more consumers paying down loans. So what happens now is you'll, you'll probably get 
uh, maybe a two or three year interest only period. Sometimes you'll get a five year period. And at that stage, they'll they'll generally ask you to then start paying down the loan. So you'll then have to convert to a principal and interest. So you definitely need to factor in the increased um, costs of paying the extra principal if you've got investment property. Um, the other alternative to that is you can maybe refinance to a new lender who, uh, again, might allow you to take a, another three-year interest-only period. So uh, I think if you're listening at the moment, you may be thinking, well, why would I not want to pay down the loan? Um, because if we get a loan from someone, we want to pay it back, right? And that's just the, 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 way we, the way we're wired. But as I mentioned before, it allows you, especially if you've got a couple of investment properties and, and you might, again, you might be listening saying, well, I haven't even bought my first one, John, let alone having three investment properties <laughs> in my own home. But <laughs> fast forwarding, building dreams, you may want that sort of portfolio. So you, you know that if you've got your own home, you want to be focusing all your energies on paying down that and, and keeping your good debt uh, rolling along as it is. So that's why we might choose an interest only um, versus a, a principal and interest option. Okay, cool. Super interesting. Um, the next question I have is surrounding offsets and redraw. Now, I find a lot of people get these two options confused. So, what are they and what is the difference? Yeah, in, in some cases, they're actually the same and in other cases, they're very different. Now, Okay, so that's very confusing. <laughs> it is very confusing. Um, so, I think... Generally speaking, an offset account, it's its exactly that. It will offset the interest that you're paying on a particular loan. All right. So an example is, again, I'll go to my uh, $400,000 purchase. I've got a $320,000 loan and I've got an offset account linked to that $320,000 loan. Now, if I've got, say, $20,000 sitting in that offset account, Interest is calculated daily. So I'll be paying interest on 300000 every day that I've got that 20000 sitting in that offset account. As soon as I take that interest out of that offset account, I'll be paying interest on that um, that 320000 and not the 300000 So that that's the general concept of that offset account. Now, why would we do that as opposed to paying the loan down is it just gives us flexibility to to use the money for, for different w- things in our life, whether it be lifestyle-related or investment-focused. Uh, we, we've got the money in our hands and not the banks, but we're still getting the benefit of offsetting our, our interest that we're paying on that loan. So you said that um, whatever you've got in that offset account offsets your interest. So yep, say you've got $20,000 in there and you've got a $320,000 loan, then you're only paying interest on the $300,000. If you take out $10,000 from your offset account, you're going to be paying interest on the $310,000. What are the risks there for people that maybe don't have the best control of their spending because from what I understand, an offset account is just similar to a bank account. You can add money, you can take it out. It's not completely separate and hard to access. So what do you recommend to people that maybe struggle with touching their savings? Is an offset generally a good option for them? Yeah, good question. And and I've actually got a friend um, who's uh, self-confessed touches his money and, and very unreliable with it. He may even be the co-host of uh, My Millennial Money. Um, 
and maybe that's why we found <laughs> it. Sounds this. about right. <laughs> um, he, he, he's definitely saying, well, I want to pay my loan down because I can't trust my um, dirty hands to, um, to not spend it. So yeah, you, you've definitely, it's not a one size fits, fits all. So if, if you think that you're, a, you're an awful saver or spender, whichever one you want to look at, you, you definitely would question whether you want that 20 grand sitting there um, that you can put your mitts on. So you definitely mm-hmm. um, consider just paying the loan down um, versus having that 20 grand sitting around in an offset account ready to go. But I'm, I'm a strong believer too that we can change our, our habits and belief. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I definitely think we can, we can change for the greater good if we can see the benefits uh, of what that money's doing in there. Yeah. So, yeah, for sure. When when you look at a redraw facility, uh, a redraw facility is is very similar in the sense that twenty grand might be sitting there. You've got the ability to redraw that money back out, um, just like you would have an offset account. But some redraw facilities don't actually offset the interest. So that's something that you would need to check with your with your bank or your mortgage broker to know that if you have got twenty grand sitting in a redraw facility. Is that actually offsetting uh, the the interest on that loan? Perfect. And is the redraw facility a little harder to access? Uh, not not really. No. Look, you, on your your account balances that you can see on your on your bank apps these days, you you'll see a credit amount um, that's sitting in the redraw facility. So you can just simply transfer that money back out at the, at the click of a button, just like you can with the offset account. So yeah, that there are some products that don't have elaborate online banking systems. And, and early on in my investing years, that's what I actually used because, um, a, the internet wasn't as uh, <laughs> as developed <laughs> as it is now and the apps weren't as common, uh, but also, Again, it was an out of sight, out of mind sort of thing as well. Uh, as I, if there was money sitting there, I didn't yeah. want to know about it because I didn't want to touch it. <laughs> yeah, I've definitely seen the dangers of that. When I was, um, I was probably only eighteen. I was working at a bank, at a credit union actually, just as a teller, and we had this one couple who had a home loan with us and. Pretty much every fortnight, they'd come in, check the balance of their redraw, and take some out. Yeah. So they went from having about a hundred grand in that redraw to almost nothing within wow. six months. <laughs> um, so definitely, out of sight, out of mind is better mm. and worth considering your self control. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it, it definitely you need to understand your own personality when it comes to this situation when you're taking on debts and, and buying your own home and, and paying it down and, and then also combining that with your lifestyle choices. And and this is the whole premise of, of running these podcasts, isn't it? It's just to give people an understanding of, of what's possible and educating them in a way that they can take their own action, but also set their own level of discipline to, to get a greater result. Yeah, for sure. So again, these two features, redraw and offset, they don't come necessarily with every loan. There's something that you'd want to talk to your mortgage broker about. Yes, correct. And and sometimes banks will charge you for having an offset account or an offset facility as well. So yeah, it really depends. Like if if you can see that in the next three years you you maybe at best you're only going to have up to five or ten thousand dollars in there. It's not going to change your world to to have that money offsetting the account. So you might not even bother about an offset account. But if if you've got 
an extra 100,000 sitting around, uh, which might sound a lot of money, but it is common as you as you get on your journey in life, then that's when you, you'd seriously consider it. Absolutely. And then there's a couple of other questions I've just thought of, because you mentioned the fees potentially having an offset account. So it's probably worth mentioning um, what other fees might be associated with having a mortgage. Obviously, you've got the interest rate, but are there annual fees that come with having a mortgage as well? Yeah, depending on the product with each particular bank, Azaria, I think generally speaking, you'll have an annual fee that you need to pay as a result of having a loan facility. Uh, You'll hopefully not encounter too many other fees other than that. As I said, you might pay maybe $10 a month for having an offset facility, uh, but sometimes that can be waived. Even the annual fee initially to get someone into a product might be waived by the lender as well. So just just checking out what what is on offer at the time. Uh, It's one component that's made up of many components when you're deciding which which lender you're going to go with. Uh, Generally speaking, they're pretty similar when it all comes down to it. You've got some your annual fees. You've maybe got a an offset facility fee. Uh, you've obviously got fees if you overdraw on your mortgage or you you don't pay your you make your your repayments. Um, so, mm-hmm. and and then if you discharge a mortgage and and refinance to another lender, there'll also be a, a small fee involved in that as well. And just out of curiosity, when credit cards come up in discussion, just generally, I've heard a few people say, I don't want a credit card, but my bank made me get one with my mortgage. Is that a thing? And is that something that people should be wary of? Yeah, it's quite common, isn't it, to, to have that credit card. It's mandatory that you, to take up our product, you need our credit card. In, in the, it's really responsible lending, isn't it, to give someone a five grand credit card for, for not doing anything and, and go and spend it as you need to. It's, uh, yeah, that, that's why we're still running a podcast. Um, <laughs> mm. Tongue in cheek, that was, <laughs> listeners. So, yes, what you generally should be, should be doing with that, if that's the case, um, cut the credit card up and and throw it in the bin. Don't use it. Keep mm-hmm. keep the limit there. You're probably not allowed to reduce it, or there might be a time period until you can reduce it or cancel it. Uh, just check that out and what that is, but don't get sucked into. Yeah, you've got a five grand credit card facility. I'll I'll go and buy um, a new pair of jeans and a pair of shoes and take the friends out for dinner. Hmm. Yep, good advice. Solid. So let's say now that I've got the mortgage um, and now I've got a few questions about what next. So one of the questions that I got from our audience was, is paying off a mortgage as fast as possible beneficial? Yeah, so I, I, I gave the example before of the 30-year the loan term. That's pretty pretty standard across uh, most lenders where you've, you've got 30, d- 30 years to pay that loan down to zero, provided that you're making principal and interest repayments. So I think it comes back to the question of, is it my owner occupier home or is it an investment product or an investment loan? think if it's in our owner occupier home, we want to pay that thing down as quick as possible. And as I said, get rid of that bad debt in our life and, and own our own outright as quick as possible. So you want to be making extra mortgage repayments where possible. So you've got your standard uh, principal and interest repayments that the banks will set up when you first take the loan. If they make an interest rate cut, they may uh, reduce your amount that you have to pay each fortnight. So in that instance, I would continue to pay the amount that I was paying, uh, 
so that you are paying down that amount uh, quicker. You won't miss the repayments amount because you're already doing it anyway. Um, but yeah, you want to pay that down as quick as possible. And, and I've seen uh, some situations where people have taken out 30-year loans, just standard incomes, um, normal lifestyle sort of thing. They've been paying them down in like 14, 15 years in, as opposed to the 30 years. So don't think that you, you you need the 30 years to pay it down. Every extra dollar that you can put into the offset or pay down the loan is going to make a, a, a big difference over the long term. Um, and, and we've actually got an extra repayments calculator that I use quite often with our clients on our um, Solvair Wealth website. And it's, uh, it's really exciting to see that graph um, reduce you can just, with a click of a button, say, well, I'm going to put in an extra $200 a, a fortnight. You can see it drop from 30 years to 25 years, as an example, just by uh, putting in those extra consistent repayments that in a lot of cases in people's lives, they, they don't miss that extra money. Yeah, that's that's a great tip. So if anyone who's listening and wants to check that out, head to the Solvair Wealth website. Does that calculator also show how much interest you'd be saving as well? Yeah, and that's the other exciting bit is uh, is you it tells you how many years you've got left or will have left on your loan if you make the repayments, extra repayments, but how many how much interest you're actually saving and and yeah, especially on the larger loan amounts, people are saving like 2 or 300,000 dollars in in interest by reducing their loan by five or 10 years. It's just uh, outstanding, isn't it? Yeah, that's amazing. So now that I've got my mortgage, um, how often can I refinance that mortgage to get a good deal? And I guess probably also, what does it actually mean to refinance your mortgage? So refinancing basically means I'm, I'm taking my loan and I'm giving it to another lender. Uh, another lender that hopefully is giving me a better outcome, whether that be interest rates or fees or just enable me to to pay my loan in a better better structured envir- environment. So a restructure or a refinance is, is usually departing one lender and going to another. Uh, how often? Gee, no one really likes paperwork and completing documents and <laughs> getting pay slips and everything else in order. So uh, I, I think you, every... If you're doing it every 12 months, you'd be tearing your hair out. Um, I, I would, I said at the beginning that a lot of lenders have pretty similar policies and, and sim, pretty similar situations. So I, I don't think you need to do it that often. It, a lot of the time it's a set and forget. But one thing I would do before I would go and refinance is I'd just go back to my lender and see what they're giving me versus what I can get elsewhere. And that's where, again, a mortgage broker can um, tap into that for you. And, and <clears throat> excuse me, I would I would actually do that every 12 months just as a check, not a refinance every 12 months, but just a check to say, yeah, am I still competitive with the loan that I have got? Uh, before I pull the pin and go and refinance to another bank. Yep, great advice. Awesome, John. Well, this has answered so many um, really important questions. But for someone who's maybe going to go out tomorrow and speak to a mortgage broker for the first time, what are some gen- what's some general advice that you'd give them to be confident in knowing what they're looking for in a mortgage? Uh, when you ask choosing a mortgage broker or just getting a mortgage themselves or, or both? Oh, you know what? Both. Yeah, both let's let's go with both, shall we? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I, I really harp on about getting a good team of people in your corner to take you forward with for the next 
10, 20, 30 years, hopefully. So a, a good mortgage broker is definitely one of the, the key people in that. So I'd be, I'd be looking at, uh, I, I'm big on personality. Can I talk to this broker comfortably? Male or female, doesn't matter. Mm. Can I talk to them, ask some questions freely? Uh, are they, are they um, giving me some education that allows me to give, get an understanding of what they're actually doing? Right. And there's a lot of mortgage brokers out there that won't do that because they just want to write the loan and, and get on to the next one. So definitely getting a feel for that person by um, speaking to them in general. The second part of it is what do they specialize in? So if I'm a, a teacher or a truck driver or a nurse or a doctor or a bricklayer, it doesn't really matter, uh, have they got loans before with clients that are that are in my similar industry or my situ, uh, my similar situation? If they have, they've got experience in my type of scenario that that allows them to fast track uh, to maybe choose particular lenders. Um, and then the third part of it is how many lenders do they look across? How many lenders are are on their panel? I suppose that they can check in to see which one we're going to use or which ones we're going to shortlist. Um, and they're, they're probably three key ones. Once you get a, a feel or an answer to those three, then, then you can really make a decision from there. But the strongest um, usually is your, your word of mouth or referral from someone that's had a good experience with a mortgage broker or, or any professional really. So that, that's what I'd be starting with, reaching out to someone who's done it before me and, uh, and seeing who they've used. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then in just in terms of, I think someone who's listened to this episode will definitely be a bit more confident going into that discussion. So that's great. But are there any other tips um, or words of advice you'd have for someone who's seeking out their first mortgage? I just have, have eyes wide open and, and think laterally. I think generally speaking, we we go down the, the, the path of least resistance. So we we might be told by someone that, yeah, you need 20%. Um, you, you, you don't want to go in with 10% and, and pay lenders mortgage insurance because that's risky or, or something else. You, you just want to know, and, and as you said, Azari, this is all part of a, the education building for someone so that if someone says to you, look, I need 20% deposit, you can say, well, no, you actually don't. You can put in a 5% or a 10% deposit. That's okay. Uh, but these are the positives and negatives of going in um, with that sort of deposit. So that's an example. But you, you've really got to you keep your eyes wide open and think outside the box to get the best result for you, and and not what uh, what you've maybe seen on a on a Facebook post or or um, yeah something that's got no relevance to you, but you've taken it on as gospel. Yeah, that's great advice. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, John. This answered um, a ton of really important questions. If anyone wants to hear more about property, I hear that you have a podcast just about that. Yes, we do, Azaria. My Millennial Property is its name. So Emily Wallace and myself have a yarn about property in all things in and out, um, finance, uh, yeah, basically anything relating to, to investments as well as buying our own home. Um, she's a buyer's agent in Melbourne, does a wonderful job. And uh, yeah, we, we've um, been doing that for a couple of years. Glenn was a co-host of that, but he sacked himself out of that and, uh, and gave Emily <laughs> the gig instead. So I enjoyed talking to Emily. Perfect. Awesome. If you're keen to chat with someone about your situation, head to sortyourmoneyout.com, click get help and we can connect you. 
Well, thanks so much, John, and we'll see you in another episode. Thanks, Azaria. Have a good day. We acknowledge the dark and young people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respect to their elders, past and present. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive, Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, is an authorized representative of Money Sherpa, Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289.